Hello, listeners, and welcome back to another episode of Equity Unpacked. I'm your host, Amy Reback, from the Workplace Financial Services team at Charles Schwab. On today's episode, our travels take us back to the heart of the equity administrator's role for part two of our Who Makes Equity Plan Decisions episode. And of course, the queens of the moment, I have our guests, Stacy Fox, Christine Swirling, and Georgina Lai to answer all of your burning questions. So as we move into the legal side, I'm curious to know, um, for M&A, have any of you had a situation where there's M&A going on, you're, you're put under NDA, and they come back and they say, well, this is what's happening, and we're granting these awards to the acquisition target. We're going to make these grants to them. It's part of the deal. And it's actually something you can't do for some reason. Have you had that experience before? Oh my I had, yeah, yeah, I had a great yeah. one. Oh, you go, you go. <laughs> yeah, I, I've had a, f- a couple of these where the deal has not closed yet, and they add more shares to the company that's being acquired, and they grant out of that company plan, and then we assume those shares. So, I mean, I've seen it all. Um, don't ask, but yeah, I, I've seen things happen before the deal closes on the company that's being acquired side because it's easier to do because they're still private and then that doesn't offset or burn into our plan. And then we assume the plan, and then we register the shares. So um, I've seen it done. I mean, yeah, it kind of depends. Yeah, and I've on the acquisition side too, it's usually I've been able to be on, have get a seat at the table when they're negotiating, so I know what's going on, I know what I'm gonna be getting, because I've had those bad situations where I had one, I don't know if I've told you guys about this, it was many, many years ago, before, this is where I learned you have to have a seat at the table, um, where uh, I think it was 10% or 15%, it doesn't even matter, 10% of each exercise for the next year had to go into escrow. Oh. So that meant if you did a cash exercise and got 1,000 shares, I had to pull 100 shares off, put it in escrow. If you did a same day sale, I had to pull 10% of the dollars out. Oh, wow. And yeah, no, very painful. And that's where I learned you get a seat at the table. <laughs> right. um, but I've also had some situations, and this is a lot of times when you you are the only expert in the room on how you're going to administer it. I had one where um, we were going through the acquisition and they wanted to cash out the grants in a certain country because they didn't, they had a qualified plan or, you know, it was like a, EMI plan in the UK right. or something. And instead of just converting it to a non-qual, they wanted to cash them out. But to cash them out in a fully vested RSA and the date of acquisition. Mm. And 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 I and I, you know, that's when you pull out all the like there's gonna be tax ramifications, is compensate, you know, how, you know, and one, it's we're gonna prove it on the day of the acquisition, like how are we gonna process all of this? And I was sitting there with our lawyers and the outside counsel who was advising us to do this program. And I said, you know what, it's a really small industry that we have for stock admin. How about if you give me, because they were telling me this, everybody does this. And I was like, great, give me the name of just one company. I'll find the administrator and how they did it and I will make that happen. And it was crickets. Right. So we didn't right. do that. But it is really getting that seat at the table. There was another acquisition where um, they hadn't done grants for six months because they were shopping their company. They didn't have a good valuation. And they said, well, these people have been waiting. You know, like, how, can we make them a grant now? How do we do that? And so pulled our comp team in and the lawyers. And, you know, one of the things I suggested was what if you, they were doing options because they were a private company. What if instead you figure out what that value is and you grant them an RSU in that value? 
And by the way, here's our vesting schedule, since I'm going to inherit that, have it be on our vesting schedule. And there's a really, really fine line of what you can advise them to do and not before you acquire them. So it was a lot of more suggesting. Sure. And then they kind of can take with it and run with what they want and kind of pointing out, like, here's our SEC docs of what we use. Like, maybe use something similar to that. Um, but it is a, it's, a, it's a very interesting dance because you can't, totally. give, you can't tell them what to do. Not only that, I mean, M&As are tricky. I mean, they're never alike. They're always different. Right. And, you know, you have to, I think as stock administrators, we have to have the expectation, yes, I do need a seat at the table. And I should be able to advise or kind of suggest how to handle the equity portion. But also expect, especially in tech, out here in Silicon Valley, things move very quickly. And even I've had situations where it's sort of like, you're going to want to do this. And, you know, the lawyers are on board. Yeah, yeah, we're going to suggest that. And then they come back, okay, that didn't happen. This is what happened. So you do kind of have to be flexible and see how, and, you know, find your network, see how other people have handled it because, M&As are hard, and you definitely need a seat at the table and be in, you know, um, in close contact with all the parties because you don't want to be taken by surprise because that, my God, if that no. deal went through with uh, we're paying people out on the day the thing yeah. closed and we're withholding tax, it's like, what's going on here? Yeah. So, yeah. 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 It sounds a lot like um, you have so much time invested in going to your stakeholders, but it's not always reciprocal. Right. So there's a lot of decisions made on their own in a vacuum that affect the equity plan or would require involvement from the equity plan, but you don't always get you don't always get the heads up on those things, right? I find it's a lot of education and a lot of a lot of just reaching across the aisle and making friends with them and doing things where you fold them into decision making so that hopefully they will reciprocate mm -hmm. when decision making's coming and include you in in, in the room too and I found that works, and then the few times when it doesn't, when somebody makes a decision, they kind of learn that that's not how it, and then it, it kind of grows naturally that way. But I think it's hard, especially at mm -hmm. private companies yeah. where people haven't had a lot of experience with equity comp, getting people on board and not just making snap decisions because their company that they'd worked at before did it this way. Yeah. So, and yeah, and yeah. kind of finding the people to make those decisions to help back you up so that it's not just stock admin saying, no, you can't do that. Right, exactly. Um, I think the biggest lesson though I've learned about M&A though is certainly having reported into the legal department multiple times is don't let lawyers do math, <laughs> which is just sort of like, I mean, well, I'm not saying that they can't do math, but when it comes to equity, they like to do crazy things like, oh, this person exercised in three separate years, but we're just gonna bundle everything together and then do a conversion and I'm like, no, 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 how do you report on taxes then? Because they each have different cost basis. So that is where I think um, where things get really, really painful are like those kind of snap decisions. So yes, make friends, especially with the lawyers, especially if your company is big on M&A activities. So. Because at the end of the day, it does become their decision. They're the right. ones that are doing the instructions. But, but we need to give them guidance on here's what, what you need to do. Exactly. And I know on some of the m and we'll get off M&A in a second, <laughs> but on some of those, I've also given them things that I can push on. Like, you know, we want, I want this, 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 and this. Mm -hmm. This one, if they don't want to do it, like, you can yeah. get rid of that one. So they have their negotiating points. Mm -hmm. I found that kind of helps, too, because they, you know, they'll always say no to something. Right. Yeah. And it's like, well, I have to have these, no. these three, but this one can go away. 
Okay, well on to a much lighter topic. Let's talk about insider trading. <laughs> okay. Yeah, uh, so insider trading, obviously a legal issue. Um, what happens when you get a violation or um, someone has gone astray? It's never happened on my watch. <laughs> not, not ever. I sure. do remember once, a while back, um, I had somebody, um, I think we were newly public at the time, and um, one of the people in finance just like, Georgina, can, can I talk to you in this conference room? I swear I didn't realize it, and my mom said this, and then she sold the shares, and am I gonna get in trouble? And it's like, oh gosh, it's sort of like, oh, you know, and it's totally inadvertent, right? But it, it, I was just like, I, I can't tell you, you know, it's gonna be fine, don't worry about it. So those are definitely decisions where you need to kind of, well, not kind of, you do loop in your legal team to kind of, to have them assess what the path going forward is. Um, in anything on insider trading, I just go straight to the attorneys. Hey, this is what's going on. You know, this is what happened. How do you want to handle it? Um, and even when it's something to do with, you know, you're in a blackout, but there's a, you know, this, there's always some weird scenario where a, a sale needs to happen during a blackout. It's not part of a 10B51. It's a rank and file employee. How do we handle this? What do you want to do? Again, it's a legal decision to be made, not the stock administrator to go, oh, it's a fine, just go ahead and process the transaction. Yeah, yeah. We had a similar, it was a 10B51 transaction, but we had carved out, we learned the hard way again, to carve out in our 10B51 plans for our section 16 officers and directors that their trades cannot execute within a few days of our earnings release. Mm -hmm. We didn't have that on certain plans until we learned we should do that. Um, and we did have a trade that was going to execute on the day of earnings release. Like I think as the pandemic, we had moved the, you know, the schedule, the earning release right. dates out. Cause I think we had done them manually, like, oh, earnings is always on this, the third Thursday or whatever. So as long as the trades are here, it's not gonna impact. But we moved the date and a trade was gonna execute for one of our section 16 officers on the day. And so technically it's fine, but is it my decision to say we pull the plan and we stop? No, right? That was where we went out to, I went out to the general counsel and then we went out to outside counsel with what, what's our risk here? You know, like we do have an out that we could pull the plan, but, and the, the outside counsel said it's safer for you just to let it go. It was, you know, crafted, he's not manipulating anything and you have, you know, but definitely not my decision to, you know, say we let it go or we don't. Or I've had um, situations also where um, the broker forgot to execute something. Ooh. Yeah, that was a problem too. Ouch. We stopped using them, but, um, <laughs> but you know, when the broker's then looking back or they executed the wrong number of shares or something like that, when they're correcting it, it's not my decision on how to correct it. I can say, here are some things that we can do, can you do that? And then go out to counsel and the lawyers make that decision of like, here's how we can correct that or not sure. correct it or what we do. What about section 16 reporting? Ew. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> well, to the 10B51 too. I mean, obviously insider trading policy is helpful for insider trading. Uh, 10B51s are helpful. Section 16, I mean, everyone should be on a 10B51 period. At least that's my experience. And then the reporting that it is coordination with whoever is responsible for doing the, the forms. Uh, for us, it's an outside uh, law office. And then the corporate attorney, making sure we understand when the, you know, the trades are happening, put it on a calendar, and so we're all aligned. But yeah, it's, it's a lot of um, work to make sure that we are protecting the insiders from themselves, the Section 16 officers and the board. So yeah, it's a, it's a lot of work as far as I'm concerned, making sure that they don't flub 
and making sure that whatever is uh, in their plan, let's say, is aligned with the policy, to your point, like if it's close to earnings and such. So it's a dance, but it's not, again, I mean, I'm not finalizing those documents. I'm just taking the signed information and then making sure that we know what's coming for the forms. Yeah, equity's involvement in uh, Section 16 and whatnot. I mean, I, I've often had to file the Form 4, so I have to be very in close connection with the legal team. Mm -hmm. Then it's not my decision of like, oh, well, we have, you know, we can file it, you know, on day two or what have you. It's sort of, I go to the, the corporate legal team and say, okay, how do we want to do this? Do we file during, you know, um, market hours or not? You know, um, what is the cadence in which we want to do this? If for whatever reason I'm late because whatever, I always have to notify the, the legal team just to let them know, keep them in the loop so that they can say, you know what, why don't we just pause and then file everything on this day or what have you. So it's not my decision. It's definitely the corp legal team because they're, they will have to deal with, you know, whatever outside forces, you know, that say, oh, you filed this late or what have you, they're going to deal with it. So certainly um, I always loop them in when filing Form 4s or setting up the cadence for a Form 4 filing. And I think it's documenting all of those things. So Yes. Because they're so routine of this is how we do it. Mm -hmm. We always file after market. We do this, mm -hmm. we do that. Um, but it's also other things like for RSUs, do you report them in table one right. or table two? Yep. Um, you know, I have my preference, but at the end of the day, it's the, you know, the corporate legal's decision if we do it the right way or my way or the other way. <laughs> right. Um, right. Yeah. Footnotes. How do you oh, want to footnote, footnote things? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, and again, yes, table one, table two. Um, you know, also, I remember at one point they wanted to separate, like they wanted everything day of. So we would report the release on one day and then the sale for taxes on the next day. And I was just like, well, you can maybe suggest, well, maybe if we just, just do it on one form, you know, on the second day, that might be great. But, you know, again, that's not my decision to make. So I just kind of take, uh, allow the legal team to take the lead and kind of follow and document. Yeah. Let me help you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, HR. We're going to end on a light note. <laughs> the HR. They're awesome. <laughs> of HR. So there's a lot of things that can get really complicated, right? Um, termination dates can change. Gardening leave. Since I've just mm -hmm. come back from the UK, gardening <laughs> leave. Um, you know, unfortunately, employees pass away. So you, these are primarily HR decisions because they, they involve HR data, right? Mm -hmm. Is there anyone else that's involved and is HR the only one that you would go to? So uh, in my world, there's HR when it comes to HRIS, and there's HR when it comes to comp. So from the termination side, leave side, uh, when an employee passes away, absolutely 100%. It's, it's gonna be hopefully in the, the system of record for HR, um, but in those one-offs, like especially with death, you have to have coordination. Um, the difficulty I have with, with these types of things, whether it's termination date, uh, leaves, et cetera, is if there's a self-service model where a manager is responsible for inputting this information into the system, it's very difficult. And you know sometimes you get termination dates months later, it impacts financials, and you know it makes it look like you are not knowing what you're doing, which is difficult. So. Um, it really is a matter of, of setting expectations up front. And if you do have anything that is, um, you know, like let's say it's late termination, who did it, why did it happen, and let's go to that business and make them feel it, especially if you have to unwind exercises or, you know, buy back shares that were sold. That should not be on the, you know, the shoulders of myself. It should impact the person that 
impacted the financials. So, so I've learned a lot of lessons um, with this type of stuff, and hopefully you have an amazing HR team where you don't have these these bubbles, if you will, these these issues. Um, leaves also, if you, know, if you have a provision in your plan that says you have to stop vesting, you know, what what's happening in Italy? If someone's in prison, they still vest. That's the law. So all these types of things when it comes to um, leaves and what they think should happen, HR thinks should happen with vesting, they might not actually understand globally what the impact is. So it's it's a lot of work. I have a question. Yes. How did you find out that people continue to invest in Italy so, when they're in prison? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't Maybe know that's that a story now. for another but, day. No, no. It, what, it, what it was is that we were, it was when I was at Sun Microsystems, we were trying to convince HR that you cannot totally go to the agreement language. Even, you know, the agreement says, hey, after 30 days, you stop vesting. We did a, a analysis with, with Baker, and they gave us this litany of issues in certain countries where you just couldn't stop vesting and Italy came up with prison terms. So uh, yeah, so we, we, we were able to only deal with uh, uh, ceasing vesting in the US because globally it was just too painful. So, you know, that was just one example. Um, so yeah, that's how we had people pay. You know, we, we got the information to help us actually, so. We had similar issues with um, HR and, um, you know, wanting to, and not even HR, it really came more from our board, wanting to toll vesting when basically if somebody's not working and they're not making money, they shouldn't be earning their equity. So how do we apply that? And that was really working with our comp team to, you know, how do you want this applied? And then them and us working with the HRIS team for how do we record this and properly track it. Um, working with the legal team to make sure that we had the policies drafted correctly, that we could actually do it in the countries that we were in. Um, and then what happened is, you know, a couple times it was a very manual process on the HRS side. So, or on the HR side. So when they missed some leaves and we let people vest and we had to unwind it, you know, those had to go back to the comp committee for approval. Ooh, so gosh. that meant that the comp team was very encouraged to make sure that, you know, the HR team that was either the HR ops team was doing it properly and not having to constantly go back to the comp team with errors and X and, and different things. Um, but yeah, definitely a place where we have input and like we can do it. We, again, we are administering your program, but what do you want your program to be? So. Right. Okay, I have a rogue question for you before we end. Something that's come up and it, we'll see it in about a year from now, T plus one settlement. Oh. <laughs> I told you it was a good one. Rogue. Yeah, so pretty complex on both sides, whether you're a provider or an issuer. Um, I think when when we went from three to two a few years ago, there was still a little bit of a cushion, right? And then now we're getting closer and closer, and now that it'll be T plus one, there's not a lot of room for reporting, sign-offs. Selling shares. Selling shares. I mean, it has impact even on when you price your shares. If you price your shares at the end of the day, you might have to rethink that in order to get them settled at the right time and be in compliance. So who does that belong to on the issuer side? It's funny you mentioned this. So right now, where I'm at, we are using the previous day close for RSU release gain, and that's wonderful. Our hope was that we would be able to then sell shares on day one and, and have them settled day one. Mm -hmm. The unfortunate thing is that our payroll team needs time to analyze the release 
And so we are still at T plus two because of the time that they need to do their work. And that needs to change. They know that. So we are now trying to figure out how do we streamline this? Will it be you know, a workday uh, project? Who's going to pay the budget? But like, they know that it is on their shoulders. Right now, we are adding a day to settle shares because of them. So I, it's my decision to say, you guys got to get this done. And, you know, I'm under legal, they're under finance, but we all roll up under finance. So it's like we have, it's not a matter of getting the budget. It has to happen because we are going to be out of compliance right. because they're taking too long. So it's, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm scared. Right. So. And it pushes everything else out, right? It messes up your X dates, dividend dates, everything. It, it goes really deep. Um, yeah. hmm. We have similar issue right now. It's. Um, we use the day of fair market value, so we, we need to change that. But also it's, the, you know, the payroll waiting for them to run it through their system. So we're working on a more automated system between our system and the Workday system to get the, the transactions over um, quick more quickly so they're not kind of rebuilding the wheel um, each time. But um, it, is a, it is a challenge to get yeah, that data in. Thanks for reminding me. Yeah, Sorry. I mean, I have the luxury as a private company right. to not really have to worry about this. But I mean, you know, it's kind of exciting times to kind of redo this whole thing from, I mean, we went from T plus three to T plus two and we adjusted and that seems reasonable. Right. T plus one sounds like a, a bit of a challenge for everyone involved. Mobility, um, I mean, mobility, yeah, that's, I, yeah. that's a really, a, a real tough one. So I don't know, I really don't know where this push to T plus one came from, but, um, but yeah, it's going to be a challenge, and I'm, I will be standing on the sidelines, <laughs> watching you guys, and hopefully Cheering learning. Cheering everyone on. Cheering everyone on. Yes. And, but I was at a private company when PVP came out, and I was like, oh, no PVP, woo! And then now I'm at a public company, and, and yeah. like the first meeting I had with Comp was like, how are we going to do PVP? Well, it's coming. <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm going to prepare myself. So. Yeah, yeah sure. not, not to be a downer, but the day will come where it's same-day settlement. <sighs> I, I'll we don't retired. have to worry about that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Plan on being retired. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I hear you. All right. Well, there it is. You should be well-equipped to partner with your stakeholders on some of the biggest decisions that impact you and your teams. And from us to you, we hope it makes your equity journey a smoother ride. For my amazing guests, Georgina Lai, Christine Swirling, and Stacey Fox, Thank you so much for being here. It has been such a huge treat to have you on Equity Unpacked. And I hope you'll come back again soon. It was really fantastic to have you here in the studio today. Um, for more details on today's episode, please visit schwab.com forward slash Equity Unpacked or connect with myself and today's guest on LinkedIn. And of course, subscribe to Equity Unpacked and receive some alerts when new episodes drop. Thanks again for joining us today on another Equity Journey. And as always, safe travels, everyone. For important disclosures, see the show notes or visit schwab.com slash equity unpacked.